Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Avast me hearties, and welcome to this voyage of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm your captain this week, and alongside me is me best friend and first mate, Aaron. I really hate to do this, but do you know the meaning of avast by chance? No. <laughs> I just so, I just say it because it's piratey. I do not understand this whole pirate thing because it's this saying, avast me hearties, yo-ho. And avast means to stop or to cease and desist. And so, I mean, it's like basically this thing that Jack Sparrow made famous by saying, stop me shipmates. Yo ho, which I, I just I don't get it. I don't get it. But it's like in the lexicon now, and see you're using it, and so it threw me for a, I don't know what's going on. But hello and hi, Captain Patrick. Okay, I guess I can appreciate that, <laughs> Captain Patch. That's even better. And Captain yeah. Eye Patch. See, so you need an eye. Right. I was gonna say you need to be like Captain Crow. There I am. Well, this week we are sailing with the inevitable in Chris Williams' The Sea Beast, the latest Netflix original animated film. It was one I know, Aaron, you were looking forward to discussing, so let's set sail in our spoiler-filled waters, shall we? End clever intro. Oh, I wasn't supposed to read that. I'm sorry. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's not there. Arg. All right, Aaron. So to start out the discussion, you were the one who recommended this for us to talk about. When we were doing some scheduling, you were like, we've got to put the Sea Beast on our radar, and I wanted to get your take on why you were so excited about this. Because it gave you a chance not to go to the movie theater and see something at home. That was good reason. reason. Um, Great reason. That was, I mean, that was one of the reasons, if I'm being completely honest. Yeah. I mean, I love the movie. I think it's probably my favorite animated film of the year so far, but it's not something that was going to hurt my feelings if we didn't cover, but it does fit in well. And I think it's fresh and. If folks don't know it exists, which was a real problem, by the way, when I went to rewatch this, I, I reviewed it you know, for FF Plus a couple of weeks ago prior to its opening on Netflix. And so we are literally a week later after this has been out. And I went on there today, Patrick, or whatever it was last night. I don't remember. When I watched it for the podcast with my son, I had specifically waited because I wanted him to get a chance to see it as well. I knew he would enjoy it. And I turn on Netflix, turn on Netflix, I fired up. What's the right wording for that? I opened the Cued app for Netflix. You there we go. The app. Yeah. That would be. <laughs> okay. So I did that and I went to my homepage and I went to new and fresh on Netflix and I started scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, scrolling. I could find it. So I kind of scrolled down. And I was like, all right, well, you know, surely it's going to be under the animated films section, like right there at the front scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and Patrick I couldn't find it I had to go type it into the search bar this is a brand new film that is less well slightly over a couple days over a week from when it was the front page of the Netflix app and you can't find it without looking for it specifically that is the algorithmic problem of Netflix in a nutshell to me. And it's funny because I, I just got to do a guest appearance 
on our sister show, Next Best Picture Podcast, one that we love. Matt Neglia had me on this weekend to talk about The Gray Man, which is Netflix's upcoming you know, drop in the app. It's coming in, it's in theaters right now for a week, but it'll be out on the app next Friday. And I just, it has got me thinking so hard and so much about like what the heck these guys are doing. And it, all it's about is what is that Friday, that Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And after that, it's like, doesn't matter. It's all about what's new. Anyway, tangent aside, I will step down off of my soapbox for a moment and say that I love it. And I think that it's a very fresh movie that may feel familiar as a mashup of some other films that we love. And I think that that's totally fine, but I've been a big film, big film, big fan of the director's previous work. It's Chris Williams. For those that don't know the name, he's worked with Disney. He was the director of Moana, Big Hero 6, and Bolt, movies that I think are all great in their own ways. And so here he is getting to do his own project at Netflix. And and I think it just turned out to be something that was, honestly, Patrick, it was just different. I mean, I watch almost all the animated films that come out, and I almost always gravitate towards non-Hollywood animated fare as my favorite of the year. Things like the Mitchells versus the Machines being an example of a you know exception to the rule, but I usually gravitate towards like anime and stuff because the stories don't just feel like a repeat of each other, and they don't feel dumbed down and simplified to the lowest common denominator. This felt adults and family friendly at the same time, if that makes sense. So, and last but not least. I was in the Navy for 15 and a half plus years. I mean, come on, listen, this is all about being on a ship and I adore the naval battle sequences in this movie. It's like basically a pirate ship versus a kaiju in Pacific Rim. I mean, come on, like who does? I mean, my housemate texted me and he was like, hey, thanks for the foot massage because the bass was so good. The sound design in this movie is fantastic when the beasts are coming through the sea and, you know, going underneath the ships and stuff. And he was like, man, don't turn it down. It's awesome. But anyway, I I love a lot about it, but that's kind of a quick hitter version. That's a good quick hitter. It's a very accurate one, especially from my perspective, because I agree with all that. And, um, I have been a person over the last maybe two or three years that doesn't get excited about animated features. I think we've been sort of saturated with Pixar and Disney, and there's reason for that. I mean, they're they're good movies. They set a standard. I was recently talking to a friend of mine about the MCU and how they there are plateaus, but those plateaus hit it like, hey, it's good, not great. You know, I've never really seen a movie or a television show that doesn't hit at least some of the right buttons. Like there's never been an absolute bomb. And I think that's a credit to Kevin Feige and his people who have just crafted like this incredible narrative. And I think the same thing when it comes to animated movies, especially ones that are IPs that come from the big companies like DreamWorks and Disney and you know, Pixar as a subset of Disney, you get quality. But oftentimes you get so much of kind of the same thing that you forget about original stories. And Pixar for a long time has been and had been that company that said, yeah, if you want something fun to watch, 
go see Minions. But if you want something that feels original, go watch something Pixar, you know, because that's what it's been. And they still do that to an extent. So this is not a dog on Disney or a dog on any other like company that does what they should do as a business, which is cash in on your IPs, hence Lightyear. So you get a movie like The Sea Beast coming from a mind and a creative that used to work at Disney. And there's a fantastic article in Collider where he's interviewed talking about why he left. And it was on good terms. It wasn't like Disney was just holding him by the throat and saying, no, you can't do anything creative. He really just felt like he didn't have the wings to be able to kind of expand his creativity as a storyteller. And some of that gets played out in movies like Bolt, Moana. The So the, the avenues that we go into in The Sea Beast, the reason I think they feel refreshing is that he has the ability as a writer and director to add components that are familiar like How to Train Your Dragon, like Pirates of the Caribbean, like Pacific Rim, as you mentioned. These little things that all are familiar, but they work together to do something new. And I think that's what creative storytelling is. It's the ability to say, hey, let's grab this, let's grab that, let's put this together, and now let's wrap it up into something that, as you mentioned before, isn't dumbed down, isn't kind of placating to kids. It's not, I don't know if I'm using that word correctly, but it's not coddling them. And it's not only family friendly, but it feels like something you would want to watch and kind of have to think about a little bit. I kind of got a little bit of a, as Lightyear was to something like Interstellar or Ad Astra, this felt sort of a little bit more adult in terms of the things that were happening. You know, we get some serious moments. We get great dialogue. And to your point on the technical side, the sound editing is fantastic. The the animation is wonderful. And it feels like something that I want to revisit where I'm not being, I'm not making fun of the thing that I'm telling a story about. In other words, I look at the two captains or I look at, I look at the main characters in this movie in the form of Jacob Holland and Captain Crow as two opposites that we'll get into here in a little bit. And they don't feel like they're satire they feel like yeah these characters could exist they feel like classic literature i'm I'm thinking like ahab and and moby dick as sort of an archetype here Mm -hmm. just a lot of really cool stuff and i feel like it's smart storytelling because we're not being overly told things we're being shown and we're not given too much we're allowed to interpret what's going on and i think that's what allows us to be able to experience it on multiple levels watching it multiple times this is not one that i would necessarily queue up right away so it's not a sing street necessarily or a cha-cha real smooth but it's really good in fact my son and i and my wife we all sat down and watched it together i take that back the three of us started watching it together and then my Uh-oh. son decided to go play <laughs> roblox with his buddy <laughs> and then he not comes a- back <laughs> Yeah, and then he comes back like the last 20 minutes of the movie, and my wife, who I adore when she does this because she's respecting this profession or this hobby that I do, and she goes, now don't go asking your dad what's going on because a lot's happened in the last hour and a half. So, And sure enough, he was asking, and she's like, no, 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 no. You can watch this tomorrow. And that's what he did. And she told me yesterday when he queued it up again that he really was uh, just captured by it. In fact, she and I showed him the trailer for Pirates of the Caribbean because it made us want to watch that again because of those similarities. So there's just so much here, Aaron, that I think it's not just about it feeling original. It's about it feeling like it's 
smart storytelling in a way that takes what we know and applying it to something brand new. And as our friend James Harleman talks about, there's nothing new under the sun from Ecclesiastes, he quotes that. And that's true. All this stuff feels familiar, but it doesn't feel derivative. It doesn't feel regurgitated. So for that, I give a lot of credit to Chris Williams. In fact, when we finished the movie, I didn't know my son was hearing me when I said this, but I was like, good job, Chris. And then when he finished the next day, he goes, good job, Chris. No. Like he didn't. Oh, my I'm goodness just, gracious. It's goofy. So it's uh, it's fantastic. And, and it's sad that we live in a world of the 24-hour news cycle. And after three days, a movie like this sort of gets lost in what's coming out next, what's coming out next. And uh, that's unfortunate. So if you're listening to this and you love it just as much as we do, please be advocates because I think this is a movie that deserves a lot of eyes on it. And I think it deserves a lot of, um, at least at this point in the year, a lot of awards recognition or nomination to just kind of give it a look. Yeah, it's going to take the, word of mouth to yeah. to go anywhere. And I mean, I you know, some of the best movies you'll ever see, that's how they get out. That's how people find out about them and they fall in love with them. Is someone says to them, "Hey, you got to watch this thing." And unfortunately, that's just what's going to take for this one, but I'm telling everybody I know about it. So I agree with you. Well, I wanted to touch on something that was both in the trailer and it happened it was said twice in the movie and it's this concept of you can be a hero and still be wrong what was your take on that based on on the movie itself did you have kind of an enlightenment thing or was that did that feel like it was consistent with what the movie was trying to tell us or teach us well i'm trying to remember the first time it was said i remember macy saying it when they were on the little island and it's right after the first encounter, lengthy encounter with the Red Bluster. There's a lot of cute little exchanges. Just thinking about this moment reminds me of one of them, one of the details. And I'll probably talk about the Macy and Jacob relationship more later. But there's this great moment where they're like, things have gone all bad and they're on the, <laughs> on the beach. And he walks up soaking wet and just like hands her her shoe and she is handing him the sword or whatever. And it's just that the way that they're having dial, it's fantastic. It reminds me of this. And somewhere in there is where she says this, I think for the first time. And she says something like, you know, maybe you can be a hero and still be wrong. And he is referring to how he keeps calling back to it. So we, the first time we hear it is in the pub where she finds Jacob and she's showing him the book tales of captain crow. And she points to his story and she's like, you know, you're the famous Jacob Holland that slayed four of them beasts in four days or two days or whatever. And he's like, five of them beasts in two days. And so he keeps calling back to like her, correcting her like, no, I did five. And so I, there, I believe that happens in this scene as well where he's like saying, no, no, I'm this hero. Like I've, I've done this thing. Like this is me. This is what I'm supposed to do. Don't stop me. I'm supposed to take this thing down, right? This is who I am. This is my identity. I got the tattoo. Two things. Super cool flag, by the way. The sea beast with like crossed spears through it. Absolutely outstanding flag. And as I said, naval battle and the animation, awesome. But the name of the ship, this has got to be one of my favorite ship names. Spaceships, pirate ships, any ship. You know, whatever kind of ship you want to think of, the inevitable is just the coolest 
name and the way that they go after these things and hunt them, Patrick. That whole first awesome long part where they go and they rescue, I forget who it is, but they rescue somebody that needed help instead of going after the Red Bluster. And so they end up, you know, fighting this one beast. And we get to see like how they use cannons, how they use these flares, the way that Jacob and these spearmen go off to the side of the ship, hook themselves in and like lean off with the spears ready to attack. I mean, just the whole concept of like the buildup and the way that you would have, you would actually have to do this in real life. Like it's not, it wouldn't be easy. This thing is gigantic. It's like wrapping its things around you. It's not, you're not going to just suddenly win, right? Like with a couple cannon shots. So I loved seeing the detail and how they went about fighting these various different beasts, the tools that they had at their disposal. So anyway, but like he's a hero, right? This is who he is. He's been an orphan taken in by the captain. He's been groomed to become the new captain. He's going to take over and it's a cycle. It's just going to continue and continue and continue. And then Macy says this thing, maybe you can be a hero and still be wrong. And it gets referenced, like you said, at least one or two more times after that. And, and, and I think it is probably one of the two big takeaways from the movie that are kind of on that deeper level or on that adult can kind of reflect on it. Well, and kids too, because of the way the context that these are being portrayed. We'll talk about the other one too, I'm sure. But this one, it's so simple. You can be a hero and still be wrong. Like, it makes you, at least it made me, want to pause for a moment. Maybe not in that moment, but afterward when I would think about this line and wonder like, what do I think of myself as a hero in? Like, what part of my own story would I say I'm the hero of? Am I a hero as a parent? Like, is what action did I take that is I consider, you know, quote, heroic? And could I be wrong in what I'm doing? And so I think that that is a positive thing from this line. It's just... This idea that you could be doing something that is maybe helping others, but could also be for the wrong reasons, even if you don't know. It kind of gets to the idea of intent, right? Like you could be doing something even if you're not intending for the consequences to happen, the consequences still happen. So you may still be a hero in one sense, but in another, there's a problem. And I think that that is what it's getting at. And it's just a really simplistic kind of one phrase that that says a lot to me about how we often get so blinded by the idea of doing something that we think is helping someone else or, you know, because that's what heroism is really about, especially in this. I mean, it's all about helping other people. That's what the hunters exist for, right? I mean, yes, there's a level of obsession that comes into it, but the profession in general, they take pride, they have a code, and they are existing to save the people, right? And so yeah. that's heroic to me. And and yet, yeah. because they don't know everything, they could be wrong. Yeah, this is something that I thought was so fantastic at the beginning, is that we have a great opening setup, as you mentioned, and we see Captain Crow convinced by Jacob to go back and rescue this ship and go back and save because there is a code. And again, I was thinking about the pirate code. I was thinking, you know, parlay and you know all that good stuff. But it's so much but better love, than that. 
It is. It is because there's because there's value to it. It's not just, oh gosh, we have to go rescue somebody. No, it's because there's camaraderie on the sea. There is camaraderie with a common enemy to an extent that's sort of being shown at the very beginning. You have these monsters or these sea beasts, you know, aptly titled for the for the movie, that it's not just for sport. We find out later that it is for protection. Well, it's for apparent protection. And I think for Captain Crow, that phrase, which I believe is spoken by Jacob to him later in the movie, is in reference to the fact that it's not just about what you mentioned, but it's also about the way you go about doing it. It's not just about intent, but it's also about getting to that conclusion and defining what heroism is. A lot of times what I saw in this movie is that the way that that um, that Maisie is describing heroism without saying anything is doing thing from doing things from the heart with the intent that that people that others matter in this case the monsters by understanding the beast and what was going on and so her lesson to Jacob was one of you have to understand what it is that you're doing and why you're doing it with that kind of knowledge before you actually go out and do it because heroism can be defined with misinformation. It can be defined as something like the end result only, like we killed the beasts. Well, what if the beasts weren't bad? What if they weren't our enemies? Are you now a hero or are you now the villain? And so that's what this story plays with is who's the real hero here? Who are the villains? At the very beginning, we're meant to believe that these guys are doing something very noble. And as a result, there's some pride that is taken by Captain Crow specifically. One of my favorite scenes is it's sort of two bookended together. Both take place in his, I guess it's his stateroom on the ship. And he's looking at that log of all of his ancestors, his father and his father's father, logging these sea beasts that they continue to, to kill. And he's got this blank. And he shows Jacob, hey, I'm going to get mine and then I'm going to hand this to you. The legacy will live on, my son. Your adopted son, by the way, which I think is another great component of this because Jacob feels that pride for him in that he feels included. It's not just that he's going to take over this amazingly named ship called the Inevitable. No, he's taking over the legacy of what it means to protect the kingdom from these sea beasts, to keep the seas safe. And what we find out as the movie goes on is that Captain Crow is really more on the obsessive side. There's this really great moment where he is talking to his crew and they're like, what you're doing is wrong. Like he goes to visit that crazy witch and he gets that insane weapon that has like the poison and they're trying to convince him to stop doing it. And he's like, no, I have to stick to this. I have to do it. And this is where I got the Captain Ahab reference where I'm like, he is going to stop at nothing to complete his mission. And in a lot of ways, it reminded me to of Uncut Gems, where we have this, this character who cannot think clearly because he has this one sole mission. And he sees that as defining heroism to him, but he doesn't have all the information. And I thought this was this is where the movie gets complex. This is where you have to explain to an eight, nine, or ten year old what's going on. And this is the the subtlety of Chris Williams and his creative team to put something together where you're, you've you got layers of complexity, but they're not 
and they're not all accessible to every age group, but they're all accessible to some level. So the story doesn't get jammed up in this stuff. It continues to move forward and it creates an avenue for discussion. Like I was ready to, until my son left to go play Roblox, <laughs> I was ready to talk to him about not only what his favorite parts were, but did you understand what was going on here? And you know, he's at an age right now, almost 10 years old, where I'm like, do you know what that means when he says um, you can be a hero and still be wrong? And so all that together, I think, brings with it this kind of complexity of like a philosophical conversation that you want to have after watching this. And that's something that I don't get from a lot of animated movies. I got it from Inside Out for sure, but there aren't a lot of those out there that I think can both entertain, inform, and cause you to think on a little bit deeper level about you know what things actually mean and the misconceptions that we might have about things like heroism and what that looks like from an individual point of view versus a you know an external point of view. Yeah, that's great stuff. I mean, he absolutely Captain Crow does personify like or remind me, I guess, of Captain Ahab in that way. And I what I love about it is it never stops to make a joke out of it. It never ever makes a joke out of that. It is 100% serious from the moment that he is like I'm going to shoot Macy if she cuts this rope. <laughs> I mean, yes, it's kind of cutesy once they're on the shore of the beach, but my goodness, dude, up until that point when the, the boat's going down or the inevitable is going down and it's her going to cut it. And he's like, if you do this, I am going to shoot you. And he's pointing the gun at her. And it's Jacob who's like, no, like, I'm not going to stop her. I'm going to let her do it. Right. But it's serious. It's we think that there's a point where we think he's going to he's dead. There's a point where we don't know about Macy and Jacob until we learn that somehow, unlike the story of Jonah, you can just hang out in a nostril and somehow the water's blocked. I don't know. That's yeah. one of the weird thing. <laughs> funny things about this movie is when they're like going for a joy ride in the nostril. And I'm just like, OK, but um, that and what how they do an IV on a pirate ship. Those were kind of two of my main like, what is going on right now? But anyway, point being is like the way it's handled, right? Like you said, the way it's addressed, it is never dumbed down we like we that's a great example of it because it doesn't just stop the action stop the 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 dramatic heaviness of what is being dealt with when the captain is starting to lean into this obsession it just goes with it and ultimately then like you said you get to have a conversation about why that might be and what the consequences might be and and we get characters in the story that appeal to the captain and say, listen, I don't think maybe this is the right choice when Sarah Smith says that, or even after they shoot the bluster and she's like, nope, this is not good. This is not good at all. Right. And they never just make a crack or a little witty, sarcastic remark. Like I can't help it, but I've keep thinking about Marvel movies and we just watched Thor and it's impossible for me to watch something like that and not wonder where would the MCU put the joke, you know? Who, who would say something real smart-alecky and silly to try and break up the dramatic weight of what was happening? And and I love that this movie doesn't do that. And that doesn't mean yeah. it doesn't have its gags, you know? I mean, it's got its... One of my favorite things is the spear-breaking gag with Jacob. Tyler and I were both literally laughing out loud, um, about especially because when he does break the spear at the end of the movie... 
it looks like it's metal instead of wood. Like that's the spear that I would, I was telling, I was like, don't do it. Don't do it. Like that's the one I wouldn't try to break, but right. that one magically breaks, but you know, that gig and or gag. And then there's one, there's an alien reference for some reason. I have no idea why this is in the movie, but do you remember it or did you hear it? Did you? Uh, I don't I, No, You have to remind me. So uh, Jacob is talking about <laughs> the little pet or small, uh, sea beasts that Macy finds on the island, specifically Blue, which that's a great little dialogue exchange as well. And he's like, I suppose this one's name is Blue. And she just looks at him like, uh, mm, he is charged. Like yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and he's, he's referring to them. And he was like, you know, you know, you can have a cat. Uh, you know, you don't have to have the sea beast as a pet, not pets that lay eggs in your mouth and burst out of you through your chest cavity. Oh, and then yeah. she, she goes, that is oddly specific. <laughs> and I just, I have to believe like that's one of the few places where a filmmaker, I guarantee if I could ask Chris Williams right now, was that in there? Because like as a writer was, is alien one of your favorite movies? Like I, I would almost guarantee that that's probably like why it's in there. Right. Um, I just thought that was cute. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, getting off on a side tangent, but yeah, the obsession thing, I, I think it, it definitely calls back to uncut gems and movies that we enjoy seeing that exploration of. Yeah. But it doesn't seem so far fetched that you don't want to root for him. Like at the end of the movie, Captain Crow is, is a character that I did have sympathy for. It's not like he was an antagonist. I admired him he, still. Yeah. yeah. And you have these two, you have these two kind of, competing characters in him and Jacob that really kind of represent the old way and the new way of this world. The old way is really, and it's triggered by that commission by the king and queen that if they go get red and they bring him back, then they can continue this legacy of hunting sea monsters. But if they can't, and that insanely large ship with about a thousand different cannons, I don't remember what it was called, uh, set out by the Royal Navy. The Imperator, also an the amazing Im- name. The yeah, okay, the Imperator. <laughs> Goes down like a real weakling, though. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, that just... And I want to address that, because uh, because there's some good stuff there. But you ha- you essentially have in these two characters a representation of the old and the new. And what what's the future going to look like? And so instead of it being the old way, which is these old pirates that still get to capture sea beasts and bring them back to the kingdom and protect the kingdom, or the Imperator way, which is this kind of new technology, we're going to do this and now we're going to retire these old pirates. There's actually a third way, and that's Jacob's way, which is let's look at this from a different perspective. And I thought that was sort of a like eye-popping moment for me. In fact, when... Maisie recognizes the shield or the crest on her books inside the port. I I went, oh. And Chris is like, what? I was like, it's about to get real, babe. Watch this. And we get the reveal that these stories have been written by a specific group of people. That we get sort of this old school i don't know when this is taking place i'm assuming it's before <laughs> 10 days time because we're on the ship you know we're on the sea but we, we get a this early version of propaganda this early version of misinformation and what a fantastic theme to play with this power of the spoken or written word and it goes back to the you know the definition of hero heroes are defined 
based off of who's receiving that, you know? So the king, king and queen, in order to protect their kingdom, they're crafting these people to go out and protect their kingdom, putting in air quotes, when in actuality, we find out they're the ones that started this war against these beasts that really didn't do anything. So who's the hero here? And I think those kinds of questions and that big reveal bring to light just this incredible thing where we are exploring and wrestling with this idea of what we say matters. Because if I say one thing and it gets repeated and that thing gets repeated, at some point, even if it turns out to not be true, that news is out there and it will always stick. And that's kind of, if it's any kind of commentary, it's on the 24-hour news cycle where I can say something uh, derogatory about you. And even if it's proven wrong a week later, that thing is always going to be connected with you, or at the very least connected with me as someone who is a liar. But who's going to really care? Because we have the world of conspiracy theories now. We have, who can you believe? Do you believe Fox News or CNN? And I can't believe anybody. And I think this movie's theme, one of the, this theme comes at a really great time, not to sort of throw gas onto the fire, but to recognize that, man, we have to be really careful about what we say, and we have to really have discernment about the things that we listen to, because there's motivation in everything that we hear. And I think that's what Maisie brings up. And she makes this fantastic speech on top of Red, which, again, the cinematography is just on point here. There are so many great moments with Red in the picture that it shows so so much of its like magnus, magnitude. And that's one thing I really enjoyed about this, Aaron, is that we you talked about there being humor. There was definitely levity, you know, those lines you mentioned earlier. I think the levity exists in a different kind of way. In no way did I feel like these sea creatures were like demonic or evil or bad or like I was never afraid of them. And I don't think a nine or ten year old is going to be afraid of them either. But they have this kind of presence, particularly red because they're so big and the way like the fight between red and that kind of crab looking thing i don't remember what it was called purple crab yeah no there's purple one that's crab, a purple yeah. crab there's one that's like a big walrus it's awesome yeah and so the, i think there was a lot of fun to be had here and i think that's where the levity exists is that we have these creatures that we can connect to because they have soft faces they have eyes and they have mouths and they have expressions that are very subtle red in particular that we can connect to but they don't have to say anything or make noises the only time we hear red make a noise is when he's attacking like when he attacks the imperator and like as you mentioned just plows right through it and like that thing had no chance at all <laughs> and so i i love the design and when we get blue i think that's one of those examples of having fun with these characters and providing those moments of lightheartedness to give us a little break in this movie that really does have a little bit more heaviness to it yeah, and I want to go back first because, yeah, the so the whole Macy and the power of the spoken word thing that you were talking about at first there, and that's because it's very important. And I, and like you said, everything you were hitting on, I completely agree with about the necessity for discernment and how things can be written down and just continue to exist forever despite whether or not they are quote-unquote true and how people have their different versions of truth, etc. But this is where I do think, in addition to like the Ahab stuff, or in addition to the you can be a hero and still be wrong, this is probably even more 
adult in the way that these themes are brought out in the dialogue and story. This is what separates this movie for me. It's what elevates it for me. It's what makes it more than just a fun animated romp that I enjoy. When we're talking about this idea of the power of something that lives on forever and what's true and what isn't and what lasts, I think that it's really interesting that in the film, it's Jacob who doesn't want to entertain the idea that we could be wrong. Macy puts this forth and she's like, maybe they didn't start this war. And of course, at one point he's like, maybe, but why would we? And he's very hung up on the fact that like this is how it is. This is how we've been t taught. It's all in the book. But simultaneously, the whole time through the movie, he is consistently disagreeing with the book in the fact that the book says four and it's really five. Like he doesn't ever, the, the script very smartly doesn't ever like stop and pause and like put arrows, you know, over his head to kind of draw attention to it. But you see that he, you know, there's a great moment where he's kind of starting to read through the book and like, He's like, I don't know, maybe this isn't quite right. And he does start to understand this concept without even calling it out at the time. Like he's still resistant, even though we've seen him. The, the, it's kind of like the seeds have been planted in, within him to, to n understand that maybe he doesn't have to trust it just because it's in this book. Maybe there's a reason to think for himself. Um, and to stand his ground if he believes in something. I think that's part of what this message is getting at, part of what it means for someone to be a hero, right, is someone that has a belief in something and is going to stand their ground. Uh, there's the great line, I don't know how the war started. Maybe all that matters is how it ends. And I love that. I, I don't need the backstory. I, I was very pleasantly surprised that we didn't get it we get that general you know who's up there with the king and the queen who decides not to order the cannons to fire and he's like nah my my family member served on that ship and i, I want i want answers i want to know but we as an audience don't have to get the answer patrick because that's not the point of the story and i, I love that choice as well but it, it you know it all works so well together this movie it's just it's so cohesive because you can think of captain crow in that same way of what it means to be a hero within the context of what captain crow knows at the time to be true if you kind of you know, i mean take away the fact that he's going against his code which is a big red flag in the first place but like in general just going after the sea beasts he's doing he is standing his ground and it's hard. It it just simplifies to me, symbolizes, that was like two words put together. It symbolizes to me like that idea of like how hard it is because you could be so dead set, Patrick, in what you think is right. And I'm so dead set in what I think is right. And we might not know. We just may not know how the war started, man. All we can do is step back and be willing to evaluate the present with fresh eyes and without our bias and without our preconceived notions and our assumptions and our presumptions and look at the actual way people treat each other or sea beasts act and say, 
hmm, and think about it. And that, to me, is what the whole movie is kind of getting at, and it's beautiful. I think it also hints a little bit at at something that I pulled out, which is this idea that when you commit to an idea, that you may go so far down that commitment that even when you find out the truth about something, you're so into it, you can't go back. And I'm going to throw out a really obscure reference I recently watched. It was on Netflix. It was called, it was a, it was a documentary on flat earth. Uh, I can't remember what it was called. It was called, um, I can't remember what it's called behind the curve. Sorry. And one of the guys that's a proponent of this, that the film centers around is a huge flat earth uh, theorist and advocate. And he's asked at the very end of the documentary, what if you found out that the earth wasn't round or it wasn't flat, that it was actually round? What if you found out that everything that you've been essentially preaching was not true? And I don't know if the film, if it's an edit or I don't remember if he says something specifically, but there's an allusion to him saying, yeah, I, I, I don't know what I would do. This idea of being so committed to something and not being willing to swallow your pride and say, I was wrong. I think is something that's really hinted at here with Captain Crow. And I think that's what drives him, Aaron. I think it's part of what drives him, which is even if he sees that these beasts are not harmful, even if he saw all the proof in the world, I don't know that he would be able to go back and say, all those hundreds of years of hunting sea beasts were a lie. They were things that I can't take pride in anymore. And and that's hard to do. I mean, he has a legacy that he is trying to live up to, a legacy that he wants to pass down to his adopted son. And that's why I have empathy for him, because he's now having to say, not only I was wrong, but I was told something that was wrong, and I believed it, and I committed to it. And yes, innocent creatures died. But for him, and I'm going to say this very selfishly, a part of him died too, because that was a part of his identity. And I think by the very end, what we get is a Captain Crow who sees his mistakes. He sees what is actually true, but it it makes it difficult for him to come back. And that's where I think is really a clever thing that the movie does is it doesn't resolve everything. I mean, we see, we see Jacob and Maisie kind of being together. I don't know that it's in, you know, it's assumed that he adopts her, but he's now taking care of her and then there's blue, but we don't get a lot of resolution. We don't get a kingdom with a king and queen saying we were wrong and now we're going to live in harmony with these sea beasts. No, I mean, the fact is it's almost a little bit like we are leaving them alone and they're going to do their thing and we're going to do our thing and we're going to move forward. So I don't know that we got resolution in terms of a happy ending, but I think we got a realistic ending. I think we got what Williams would say is a fitting ending to this where there's change happening, but he leaves it open to say, what's this going to look like in 30 years? (laughs) Are the children of the sea beasts going to hear a similar story where they were attacked for years and years and years and now they're going to go off and really do and create these dark times for this kingdom i mean that would make an interesting sequel but i would never want to see that because that's not the point and so i think that's what makes this movie another reason the movie is so good is that it leaves us open to kind of exploring what we could do what could happen in this world without telling us. And that's a consistency throughout the movie is it's not 
preaching to us. It's just allowing us to interpret, allowing us to experience, and really latch on to all these specific characters. I love that there's no resolution as well, and that it doesn't have an ending that tells us what happens in the quote long term. And I think that that's fine because it's not the point. Like you said, I, I mean, we don't get any idea of why it started. Like I said, there's no, I'm very curious. I, I don't know that it means I need a sequel. I think it's fine if it never got another entry in this. I don't, if it becomes, doesn't become a franchise. I'm totally okay with that. I like that. I like that I can watch it and go, huh? I wonder how this big royal kingdom even became like, what was the purpose of them sending hunters out to kill the sea beasts? How did that get them rich? It's mentioned at one point, somebody accuses them of, you know, you did this for greed. How is that greedy? Like they're paying, but you know, does it get them, did they, they get like love bestowed upon them because they were the ones that first went out after sea beasts and therefore then they became the royals. Like you don't know how any of that works and that's fine because it's also part of like this created rich mythology of this world. That's one of the things that I just love about it is it's a unique world. Yes. It has the, how to train your dragon vibe with the animation of the sea beasts. You know, you cannot watch this and look at the red bluster and, and the cute little, Stitch looking like blue sea beast that Macy falls in love with and not think of Toothless. You just, I mean, I don't know how anybody could not think of those, but that's part of its charm and, and part of what makes it work. But like we said, you know, that's that whole naval sequence. It's the multiple different types of sea beasts. It's this royal kingdom with this incredibly awesome palace and city design to it. I mean, dude, it looks freaking cool i would love like a drone shot to like take me on a tour of like all the different waterways and how it's built and constructed but i don't need all that it's just it's neat that there's it seems to me like they took a lot of time to kind of really create a world around their story and and never sacrificed story to fit it i'm trying to say like i don't know they didn't there's a lot of movies that i see that the world is not alive and interesting in the way that this one is yeah this is a movie that i think probably would face some criticism that it doesn't build its world enough because we get a taste of those things like that island i kind of wanted to spend some more time there and apparently my interpretation is that that's the island of the sea beasts that's where all the sea beasts the different types of sea beasts live or at least yellow Mate. and blue maybe maybe just primary <laughs> colored sea beast i guess i don't know but well, no it's I what mean, happens when they they cross breed you get like oh you get the and, you get tertiary so it's a yeah. color wheel it's a color wheel <laughs> community right but <laughs> but the kingdom's the same way and i think that that intrigue is what makes it charming because i didn't want to spend a ton of time in there i mean i felt like i got i got enough i got enough where it was just enough of a taste that i said okay again my interpretation says that's where a lot of them live we go to the kingdom, we can fill in the gaps of, or in this case, the waterways of the kingdom and kind of make our own assumptions about that place. And and there's charm to it. And I think you're right. I think you had this creative team. I'd like to believe that William said, all right, guys, create the world for me and we'll use it as a backdrop and I'll give it enough screen time that it'll leave people sort of wanting more but not leave it there where it becomes the star of the show because that's not the point of the movie. The point of the movie 
is about these characters. And that's where I think Williams really shines is these characters are just so, so powerful. Even the ones that feel like they're sort of throwaways, they don't get a lot of screen time. All of them seem to matter. It's not even an ensemble cast per se. He just spends a lot of time in pairs. Like you mentioned, you've got you got Maisie and Jacob. You've got uh, Captain Crow and Sarah, I think, are, are really great. Sarah uh, Sharp is fantastic in this. So I want to uh, make a point the, about that. Yeah, Sarah, just Sarah, real quick while you mentioned brought her up, because I think she's important. And I think this is a beautiful, perfect, fantastic thing that people should look to when they this movie in general just is wonderful from a representation standpoint like there is no one single dominant it doesn't seem like race or gender people are in power and positions of authority and different you know and i love that without drawing attention to it we get macy in this moment where it's very clear that she's like wow you look like me and you are this incredible renowned first mate hunter sarah sharp and it comes full circle when sarah cuts the line for her and she's like you just we need a bigger knife right and believes and trusts in macy and and i just think again there's a way we can do these things where they are meaningful and they give i mean i i'm just i can't help but look at it and be like man that's something that a kid is going to see and be able to recognize themselves. And that's great. And it didn't need the, the big arrows and like shiny foghorns going off to tell us that look at our representation. It was two big moments, two, two, two small moments. I should say two scenes between these two characters and everything you need is in them to show you why it would be important to Macy without going out of their way to make it crazy. And I, and I thought Sarah was a, a wonderful character. Yeah, they're all fantastic. And you 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 nailed it that being able to see so much diversity without saying it's diverse, it just made sense. It didn't feel overt in any way, shape, or form. And again, I think that's fantastic storytelling. When you get good people who know how to act, voice act specifically, and you use them in ways that absolutely um push that story along and allow for that diversity to shine it's it's just fantastic i also Jake, want to, jared harris go ahead. if we're talking voice performance by the way oh, jared harris is what he's what yes. makes this movie go and if we had a like oscars category for voice performances this would be like my first no-brainer must nominee of the year because i think well second because Jenny Slade as Marcel, the shell with shoes on, is also right there. That's neither here nor there. Jared Harris, freaking phenomenal in this role. He is absolute perfection, in my opinion. Co-sign that. Absolutely do. So good. One other thing I wanted to call attention to, we've talked about and around it, is the, you called it the kaiju of the sea. And yeah. you're spot on. It's very much, you've got these giant beasts that become companions for our two sailors in Jacob and in uh, in Maisie. And Red specifically, for obvious reasons, is sort of the the main sea beast that we get here. I, I wanted to just say that the way that Red is designed, it's so cool to be able to 
call out the magnificence of the animation here. Not just that it looks beautiful, the colors pop. I mean, the whole movie's like this. And I think it's really cool. Like, for instance, you have the inevitable at the very beginning in this bright, shining sun, and it's just immaculate. And I mean, it's almost like glowing gold. When they are hunting red, like when Captain Crow hunts red, there is a color difference. Like it's shaded and it's kind of brown and gray. Like it looks very dark. And I think it speaks to how uh, Chris Williams and company are trying to really capture some evil here. Like there's an optimism and a pessimism that's shown in the colors here. But red specifically, the way in which she apparently emotes with her eyes is absolutely phenomenal. Like when Jacob is trying to get her to turn right and he's like, go, go this way. And she's just kind of staring at him. And then Maisie does it in a subtle way and she points and how she moves the gracefulness of how she moves in the water. And you contrast that to how she attacks these different, uh, in these different moments. I think there's a lot of thought that goes into asking if we create a creature like this, how would they move? So when she's fighting that big crab thing, how she moves, I absolutely love the whole like whirlpool thing, like the, 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 to get uh, the fish tsunami. Yeah. To get the fish. I think she does that earlier in the movie when she's being attacked uh, before Jacob and, um, and Maisie get thrown. She creates that same kind of thing. Just the strategy. Oh, to take the ship down. Yeah. Yeah. Just the way in which she goes about defending herself. I I think if I were going to have an expansion of this world, I would love to see what all the cool features or all the cool abilities of each one of these sea beasts has. Like, how do they adapt to the water? The fact that she can go on land, I think is fantastic. It's just, again, the care and the complexity that goes into every component of this to not just make something look visually appealing, but really kind of make sense. Like, I would never imagine in my life creating a creature like that and then give her the capabilities that we see on screen and it's just amazing to me i think that was probably the charm that was coming out where where chris was like all right guys i got this idea in my head now go sketch some stuff out and the fun that they would have in creating this say you know we can get her to do we can get her to do this and this and this like i would love to be a part of that because it's such i mean it's almost like you're creating you're creating something new. You're absolutely that, you know, give her her own movie, you know, Red's Adventures and just show off how much she can actually do. But I just, I thought it was so charming and it was wonderful to watch. Yeah, I think, yeah, I agree. And no, no to Red's Adventures. No Netflix okay, limited sorry. series. <laughs> okay. Let's, let, let, let it ride. Let's just yeah. love what we got and go yes. make something else new and fresh too, you know, next. Right, right. But right. anyway, yeah. the point idea. is, I think the ideal thing is to make something that you love enough that you want it to be an IP, but that can stand alone without being one. And therefore, I, I like the feeling of wondering what it could be like without, like, for example, a, a, a good uh, movie that this movie pays homage to would be like Master and Commander. That's one that it makes me think of. Mm-hmm. I would have loved a full film series or, you know, long Netflix running series of the Horatio Hornblower, you know, master and commander type movies or stories. But even without it, it making me want that in a way 
makes it more special because I didn't get it in, in this day and age where everything gets it. Does that make sense? Anyway, I just, I'll end on that. Absolutely. <laughs> no, no, it's, I, I think that that again, the, the ability to give us a beginning, middle and end and not leaving us with an incompleteness, but a longing. I think that's good storytelling. And that's what we get with this. Well, before we leave, I just wanted to throw some love at the, uh, the score Mark Mancina, he's been around for a long time, and um, he's he's a favorite of mine. He's done things like Tarzan. August Rush is probably my favorite of his, and uh, his score just fits really, really well into this. It has that kind of what I would call this mid-epic feel to it, where it doesn't feel huge. It feels appropriate for the size of this movie in terms of like the 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 sea. Like I felt like I was kind of watching a PG version of Assassin's Creed on the water. You know, you've got these these attacks and these battles and stuff like that. I really felt like we were getting pirates and all that good stuff in a way, but didn't feel like we were, you know, dun 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 dun. dun. You know, it wasn't that powerful, but it was appropriately sized for that. So good job to him and I'm I'm glad that they uh they used him. Well that's gonna do it for us on this edition of Feeling Film. Thank you for listening as always. And we hope you've enjoyed the conversation as much as we have. Enjoy what you watch this week, and we'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter at Feelin' Film or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.